All right, I think we're on here. This is lesson number, study number 13 through the Gospel of John study. And um, last time we were a little bit, what, different, unsettled, because we had to do the Wednesday, normal Wednesday broadcast on Sunday morning uh, for lots of reasons, including the fact that the woods around here were burning up and we couldn't get back to our uh, building, which, as it turned out, the fire didn't come through that area um, anyway. So anyway, all right, so this is number uh, 13, and uh, we're still in John chapter 3, down about verse 17 or so, and and, uh, so let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your preservation and protection. We thank you for uh, the rain that you've sent now. And we pray for those that did lose their homes and some family members even lost their lives. And and so we pray for them that you would be a, a comfort to them and use those hard times to, um, uh, lead, to strengthen the faith of those that know you and to draw those that don't to a saving knowledge of Christ. Uh, we pray your blessing then upon our study today and pray that it would be a glory and honor to you. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, a couple of things to start off with before we get right to uh, um, our text of John chapter 3. I wanted to mention, uh, because I, I want to present you with this subject, that you can get this booklet that I wrote. Actually, it's it was kind of a cooperative effort um, drawn out of a sermon series I did on this on this subject. And um, as you can see, the title of it is Who is a Christian? And you can get this on Amazon. Uh, there's also another booklet there <clears throat> that I did in my father's house, which is a great way for yourself or to give it to other people to follow God's big picture plan from Genesis to Revelation. So there's that one available too. But I didn't just bring this up in order to sell books. Um, I I like to see them sell because I know that they're getting into people's hands. But um, I wanted to talk to you about this one in particular, this subject, who is a Christian? Most church members and pastors and people that... Uh, profess to be Christians, um, would think, oh, why even ask a question like that? You know, it's somebody that believes in Jesus, and, and, and there you go. But repeatedly, what I'm finding is that, um, uh, do I want to say many? I, really, I want to say most, and I think that's accurate. Most church members most people who claim to be Christians do not have a correct answer to that. And even if they have a, a, a technically correct answer, um, in practice, in practice, their practice of really demonstrates that they, they have a wrong answer to that question, um, who is a Christian? And specifically, what this comes down to is, 
that a Christian is a person, as we've seen in John here, is who's been born again. Now, we would even have to ask these people, tell me what that means. Because it means far more than just being forgiven your sins by God, right? It means far more than that. It's, it's being made a new creation in Christ, born again. Romans 6, the old you put to death, gone, and the new you created and, and raised up with Christ. A Christian is a, a, a brand new person. They are a child of God, and they, uh, as a result, they do not walk in sin. They don't live in sin. They don't habitually practice sin. And the Bible is absolutely filled with um, verses and teaching that demonstrate very clearly that that is the case. And what I'm finding is that that um, most people who claim to be Christians don't believe that. What they, what they believe is that God is a merciful, loving, forgiving God, and a Christian is a person who believes in Jesus. Their sins have been forgiven. They're on their way to heaven. And God understands if they, uh, he understands why they're still living in sin. Okay, even if a person is living an, an evil life, well, you know, we can't judge that person. They say they're a Christian. We've got to think the best about that Christian. You, you've heard this stuff, right? Maybe you even believe this stuff because that's what you're taught in your churches. I'm going to put this, uh, these notes I have in the back of my Bible. They've been there for quite a while. I'll probably put them on my blog post so they're a little bit easier to copy down. But on the back page of my Bible, it's been there for quite a while, um, I've got this list, and I put the heading on it, A Christian Does Not Walk in Sin. Now, I'm not saying and I'm not teaching that a, a, a Christian is sinless, never sins. I mean, we, we still battle our fallen flesh. But the, the, the real you, who you are now in Christ, if you're born again, and indwelt and led by the Spirit of God, you're going to repent of that sin and confess that sin and and be forgiven. You're going to hate. You're going to hate that sin. So here's all these verses, and, and they're not the only ones by any means. Even back in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, a Christian is a in the New Covenant, has a new heart, and knows the Lord. Psalm 1. Uh, the godly man is contrasted with the wicked man. Psalm 32, there's no deceit and he repents. The, the real believer repents when he sins. Psalm 50, the wicked have no right to God's covenant. Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes the kind of person that God's blessing is upon. And it's not a person who walks in sin. John 13, verses 34 to 35, says that a Christian is a person. If we know Christ, we love one another. We love him and we love one another. Uh, we don't act wickedly toward others. Romans 8, a Christian is led by the Spirit and walks according to the Spirit. And it says, 
if that's not true, that person does not belong to Christ. Galatians 5.16, those who walk in the flesh will not inherit the kingdom. And then 1 John, I've got a whole bunch of them here at the bottom because 1 John is just filled with this. So increasingly, um, I'm having, uh, I'm talking to people. Uh, usually they're people who are contacting us because of the blog at ministry and, and our books and so on, who are victims of domestic abuse. And they, they've been told, they've been taught, they're so-called counts, Christian counselors, biblical counselors, uh, their pastors, fellow church members, and so on, are all telling them that they need to show mercy, be forgiving to this, this spouse who is habitually, and, and for a long time, and who claims to be a Christian, is abusing them. And if you don't understand what I mean by abuse, well, I, I would suggest that you grab some of my books and read them. Uh, start with Unholy Charade. It's on Amazon as well. Um, this, this is not just typical or occasional marriage conflict. Uh, this, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a sociopath, a conscienceless narcissist, uh, these kinds of people. And they creep in among us in the church, as, uh, Ju- as Jude says in Second Peter. So, um, but, but the people that contact me, the victims, are just in a fog because they're being told that their abuser is a Christian. And they need to assume that they're a Christian and respond. Now, part of my response to that in those cases is, uh, do you really care? Do we really care if the person's a Christian or not? I mean, if they're, if they're abusing you like that wickedly and, and, and acting evil like that, it doesn't really matter. They can say what they want. Um, they are someone to get away from. I always say, I tell people, um, abusers, like as we define them, abusers, uh, by the way, Bible calls them revilers very often, revilers, you can check out 1 Corinthians 5 on that, but um, um, these people, I always tell people, one, abusers never change, especially, you know, normally the kind we're talking about is the kind that claim to be Christian. They never change, this stuff's been going on for decades in most cases, the person lies and deceives and uses all the the wicked controlling tactics that that abusers use. So they're never going to change. If you want to know what the future is going to be like in life with them, being married to them, look at the past, and and you can, you know you're going to have more of the same. Secondly, I tell them a marriage to an abuser does not need to be fixed; it needs to be ended. And of course, this kind of stuff freaks out the Pharisees of our day. And don't worry, so many of our churches are controlled and led by by Pharisees who have laid their uh, false false doctrines then upon us. The fact of the matter is, um, I don't care how many Pharisees say that this wicked person, habitually wicked person, is a, is a Christian, they're not. And they and they can't be. Jesus said of the Pharisees, in fact, you know, themselves, you guys yourselves are whitewashed tombs. 
on the inside you're you're rotten you you don't you don't belong to me then um, at all now for those of us who do know Christ and we're trying to sort some of this stuff out um, then we need to really take care as to what our authority is, the source of our authority for what we believe. All right, what we believe is God's word. What What is our authority? Now, quickly, you might say quickly, oh, my authority is the Bible. But in practice, what I'm finding is, no, no, so many people's, their authority is not the Bible. Their authority is is the Pharisees that are teaching them uh, traditions of men that are not in accord with Scripture, but they're being called Scripture. And so just by being duped, by being lazy, you know, Christians talk about, well, we're Berean Christians. We, we go to the Scripture to see whether this is so. But really, so often, they can say that, but, but they don't. Because if you believe that a person can be a Christian, born again, a new creation, and be a domestic abuser, for example, walk in sin, treat with extreme wickedness, and and be lying about this, and play, wear this disguise, saintly disguise every Sunday, or when, you know, lots of, of people in churches think, oh, that's the most holy guy I, I ever saw. Well, we shouldn't ever say something about a person like that anyway. But uh, So they're, they're doing all this, and yet it, uh, so many people claim, oh, well, you know, uh, they could be a Christian. They're, they're a Christian, and they're just imperfect. We're all sinners, this kind of a thing, and, and, and so on. And uh, so whether it be from laziness, or whether it be from just being deceived and you're assuming your pastor is telling you the truth and rather than really checking things out, whatever the reason is, so many people are, are buying into this false stuff. I wanted to show you here a couple of verses uh, relating to this. Now we see in Ephesians 4 here that yes, God did give us apostles and prophets, and evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, the first part of verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, especially apostles and prophets, um, that right there is this, okay? It's this, the Bible, uh, the Old Testament prophets, and the, and the New Testament apostles. So, so God's given us, that's how we have the apostles and prophets now, all right? And then he gives us pastors, shepherds, and, and teachers in the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. But they have to be true shepherds. They have to be teaching what the apostles and prophets, the Bible, they have to be teaching what it says. And so you have, you have to check it out. And if you're not checking this out and prayerfully coming to your Bible regularly knowing what God's word says, you're going to be a sitting duck 
for all this false teaching that's going on around here today. Now look at this. Look at down in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So it's talking about growing up in in Christ. Now look at verse 14. So that, why do we want to be mature like? Why do we want to be like Christ? Why do we want to increase in the knowledge of Christ and of his will and his word? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Okay? Now that, we can spend the rest of our time just on that. I talk to people regularly who are being tossed to and fro by the waves of doctrine and carried out by every wind of doctrine that is produced. Where, where are these winds of doctrine and waves coming from that are, that are upsetting these so many people? Uh, well, it's coming from e- e- wickedness, human cunning, craftiness in deceitful, in deceitful schemes. If you're being taught in your church formally or indirectly, overtly or covertly, by word or by practice, that a person can be a Christian and yet at the same time walk habitually in sin. You say, well, yeah, but these people are, they repent. They say they're so sorry. Yeah, but guess what? They turn right around and do it again. Well, we're supposed to forgive 70 times 7. Well, hold on a minute. That's when somebody genuinely repents. But these people aren't repenting. They've been, if a guy's been abusing his wife, isolating her, maybe sexually molesting her or, and, and the children, if he's been uh, <clears throat> um, making her economically isolated, refusing to, to provide lots of these guys, you know, they'll have great big bank accounts, but, but uh, they, they, they freak out and unleash their wrath on their wife if she spends a little bit of money at, at the grocery store, you see. All that kinds of wicked, crazy-making, evil tactics that actually uh, spiritually, emotionally, and even physically work to kill someone. And some of these guys kill their spouses. Um, then, um, and, and if you say, well, yeah, but he might be a Christian... You've got your head screwed on 180 degrees out of whack in your thinking on this kind of a thing, and you need to get back to the Word. What I've been referring people to is 1 John. Open your Bible up. Forget about what, for a moment, forget about what your pastor or your family members or fellow church members have been telling you and teaching you. Forget that. Look at the Word. Read First John. Is that the word of God? Do you believe that's the word of God? If you do, then, <clears throat> then, you, then read it and believe it. It's not that hard to, to understand. And so then you have to decide, am I going to believe what 
the Apostle John and the Word of God says, or am I going to believe these other people because they're, they're different things? <clears throat> Recently, in fact, I had, <clears throat> excuse me, a person I was having this kind of conversation with, and I really feel sorry for them because they've been, uh, I think they're a genuine Christian, and they've had all this garbage laid on them for so long, and they're really suffering. And, and they said, <clears throat> I told what, I told this, what I've been saying here, I told that to my pastor and church leaders, and they told me that's, that's bad counsel, that's new doctrine that we haven't heard before. That's new doctrine. And my response was, <clears throat> I'm sure it is new doctrine to them, because they've been teaching false doctrine. So what, what is our authority, see? Um, <clears throat> If, if you don't get that settled and you don't work yourself to put out the effort to know what God's Word says, and, and if, you, if you prayerfully study your Bible and ask the Lord to teach you by His Spirit, He, he will do it. He will do it. And um, if you don't do that, then here you are. You're going to be like a little kid that's just a sitting duck and this person comes along and says, oh, this is true. And then another person comes along. This is true. Off you go this direction. Off you go that direction. And you don't know, you don't know what, what to believe. All right? So, um, also, I'll, I'll show you another verse here along the same lines. Um, <clears throat> where'd you go, Hebrews? Well, we'll just go to it. It's... Uh, Hebrews, four, no, Hebrews five, and we'll go down to the end. Now look at this. Here's this warning. You see, the guy, uh, the apostle to the Hebrews here, is saying, look, you know, he's frustrated. He said, look, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. That is exactly what I'm seeing here. Is people, Christians are, didn't you hear what God's word says? Well, you, you, your hearing is dull. You, you, need to get, you need to get a hearing aid here or something, you know. For though by this time, you ought to be teachers. What I'm telling you here, you should be, have it settled and be able to, to tell others, right? The same thing. You ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God, the Word of God. You need milk, not solid food. Now look at this. For everyone who lives on milk. Look, if you're living on just basically your Christianity, what you believe is, believe in Jesus, He died on the cross for our sins, believe in Him, and he forgives you your sins and you're going to go to heaven. If that's the extent, even though that's true, if that's the extent of your uh, understanding of, of, of what God's revealed to us, um, you're, you're living on milk. You're still in diapers. You're still sucking on a bottle. And you are, look at this, you are unskilled in the word of righteousness. You're unskilled. You you look at your Bible and, and you haven't been trained to study it, 
for, for yourself and to understand it. Now look at this, especially, this is the verse I really wanted to show you. But solid food is for the mature. All right, We don't want you to become a mature Christian, Christ-like and sound in your faith, just because, so that you can go out and win some argument over whether infants should be baptized or only uh, professing Christians should be baptized, this kind of a thing, okay? I mean, that stuff's okay, but that's not the ultimate point. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice for what? To distinguish good from evil. See that? One of the fundamental purposes of growing up in Christ is so that you can tell right from wrong. It's so that you can discern this is righteousness, this is unrighteousness. And to carry it further, this guy is evil. And here, here is a genuine believer. This teacher is a false teacher this one is, is accurately and truthfully representing, representing Christ. So, but it's very hard when you, uh, when you have to deal with people that are, are dull of hearing. And they've just been doing what they're told, believing what they're told, and not really get, getting into the word itself. And it's dangerous. When it comes to, for example... Uh, this business of domestic violence. Being dull of hearing, listening to the, to the junk that so many churches are laying and pastors are laying on these victims, um, <clears throat> being told that, well, you know, he's a Christian and you need to assume that. Uh, divorce is always a sin, you know, and you can't, oh, no, 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 you can't ever leave him and uh, um, you need to forgive him and so on. People that are teaching that trash to these victims, you're going to get them killed. One way, either either over time, they're help. many of these people that I, I talk to and try to help are um, not physically well and, um, and it's, it's because of you know, live under that kind of stress for years and see see what it does to you. Um, but to tell somebody like that, oh no no no, you you can't leave them. That's evil. We are supposed to help the widows and the orphans and the oppressed, right? And largely, that's not happening. That's not happening in the in in these churches. And a lot of the reason is because we've got these false teachers and and wolves in the in the pulpit. So. Um, so there's a challenge. It, it, it is absolutely vital. And one of the fundamental things as I began with, you got to figure out who is a Christian? Who is a Christian? Well, I can tell you right now, <clears throat> somebody that abuses their, their wife and kids, not a Christian at all. No matter how saintly they, of a disguise that, that, they, that they put on. And you need to be humble if you're going to try to help in these situations, you need to acknowledge, you know what? You don't know everything. And you think you know that guy that is abusing you. You think you know him. You think you know. Well, guess what? You only know the guy that shows up on Sunday. 
you don't you don't you don't know him at all. You're not in the victim's place, witnessing what what, what is going on, and and uh, um, you. So we need to be humble about this. We need to recognize what I need. I need to learn about this evil, so that I can distinguish then um, good from good from evil. So, all right. So there's that challenge. That's why we're we're looking at. That's why we went through First John. You know, if you. <clears throat> I refer everybody, what do we do? 22 lessons on 1 John. You go through those lessons and go through them carefully. And again, while you're doing it, largely forget about what this other author says. Forget about what even your pastor has taught about it or whatever. If it turns out after you study it as, oh, that's exactly what my pastor says. Well, then, then good, that's great. But I can tell you in so many cases that is not going to be than um, the outcome. Can you imagine that in our churches, we have come to a point where the majority of them, if you present them with this, which is essentially what 1 John is saying, who is a Christian, you present them with that, with what the Bible says, and their response is, oh, that's that's a new teaching somebody's come up with. How, how man, we're back in the Dark Ages. That's like what happened back in the Reformation era. Why the Reformation had to happen is that those Middle Ages, the scriptures got buried. The false Roman Catholic Church, you know, got hid it from the people, took the Bible away from the people. And that's what is happening in our churches is that when somebody sets themselves up as a pastor's authority, an authority, right? And they're telling you, this is what God's word said. This is what it says itself, right? Then, and then uh, indirectly, covertly, they can actually be taking the Bible then out out of your hands. Many churches, many churches today, you know, people don't even bring their Bible to church, and and you should be sitting there and checking things out, you know, as to what. The pastor is saying so. All right then. So um, <clears throat> if you're a baby, grow up. <laughs> grow up and do it and do it now. Get into First John. Go through those studies and uh, and start reading. And don't think that every word that comes out of a pastor's mouth is is true. And that applies to these studies here, then as uh, as well. So. Okay, let's go back then to First uh, John, and, or uh, rather, First John. I was there for so long. The Gospel of John, chapter three, and we were down at about verse seventeen. So, all right, let's talk about a few things. You know, I was using J.C. Ryle, and I still will <clears throat> to an extent here. He's so good on this on this study. Um, it's out of this set again. You remember Ryle's expository thoughts on the Gospels, and and here's the section on the Gospel of John. So we saw in verse thir- verse sixteen, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. <clears throat> and uh, and we dealt with this matter of the world because. God loving the world, and then in verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved 
through him. So, uh, and, and we saw that, that uh, John so often uses terms like <clears throat> all men or the world, not in absolute terms, right? That, um, that the world here, this isn't teaching that the whole world, that every human being in the world is going to be saved. I mean, all you have to do is move into the next couple of verses here and you'll see that that's not, that that's not the case. But we did emphasize that the fact of the matter is God did send his son into this world to be the savior, to be the savior of the world. He is, the, he is a savior by whom everyone who believes in him can be put right with God and be and be saved. Okay, and and He's the only Savior. There is He is the Savior of the world. There is no other Savior, no matter what nation, nationality, race, whatever time frame somebody lives in. <clears throat> there's only one way of salvation. There's only one way of being put right with God, and that is faith. Then in in the Lord in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um. <clears throat> The uh, Ryle had a, a really good um, comment on this matter that it was God who sent, it was God who loved the world, God the Father, so he sends his son um, in, into, the, into the world, and, and that Christ comes as a, as a savior, that, he, that that is his intent. In fact, you see, God did not send his son. Christ didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So he, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all they desire, God desires all men to be saved. That is, that is his desire. And Ryle had a, had a good point here on this. He said, the readiness of the natural man, of unsaved people, everywhere, to think of Christ as a judge much more than as a savior is a curious fact. The whole system of the Roman Catholic Church is full of the idea of this idea. People there are taught to be afraid of Christ, and that's true, but that's very true. People in in the Roman Catholic Church are taught to be afraid of Christ and what? To flee to the Virgin Mary. So they pray to the Virgin Mary and trust that since she is Christ's mother, she will plead with him then, intercede for us. So Mary becomes another mediator, all right? So that's all heresy and, and, false, and false teaching. But, <clears throat> but um, it, look at this, you know, in these verses we see Christ didn't come as judge. Now he will when he comes again. He will judge the wicked. And, uh, but, um, but that's not why Christ came into the world. Christ came into this world that everyone who believes in him might, might be, might be saved. You see, uh, John Calvin, there's a quote here by John Calvin. Whenever our sins press upon us, whenever Satan would drive us to despair, we ought to lay hold this shield that God is unwilling that we should be overwhelmed with everlasting destruction because he has appointed his son 
to be the savior, the savior of of the world. Okay, so that's encouraging, and it, that that should uh, straighten our thinking out. Now, in verse eighteen, <clears throat> whoever believes in him, and what we want to emphasize here is the the presentness of the situation. Okay, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him, believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. <clears throat> so here, here we see that when, when John tells us whoever believes in him is not condemned, it means right now. If you're a Christian, if, if you believe in Christ as your Savior and you've been born again, you are not condemned. Not now, not ever. This isn't a matter of, well, I have to wait until judgment day. And on that day, I hope, I hope, I hope, I won't be condemned. No. The moment that you are born again by faith in Christ, all condemnation is gone, right? Uh, let me see here. Romans 8. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? So, <clears throat> condemnation is not on the Christian. Um, and there is an unhappy, well, it's a just flip side of this. But whoever does not believe is condemned. See the word already? Because he's not believed in the name of the Son. He he didn't write this. um, But whoever does not believe will be condemned on judgment day. Now that is true. The sentence will be carried out when Christ comes again in, in, in judgment. But look at this. A person who refuses Christ a person who will not receive and believe in Christ, they are condemned already. What is the already? Well, we're all born into this world condemned, right? We're all born into this world as sinners. And uh, that moment, that we, and that all changes. Condemnation is removed when we believe in Christ and are born again. But as long as a person refuses to come to Christ in in faith, that condemnation that was pronounced upon Adam and Eve is is still upon them. The curse is is still upon them. And the reason is because they haven't believed in the name of the only Son of God. Okay? So there it is, right right now, at this moment. Why does a person need to come to Christ desperately? Because they're condemned. They're condemned. They are, they're like <clears throat> just a, a wisp of a breath or one little misstep away from eternity in hell. That is the condition and danger and, and plight of, of, the uns, of the unsaved person and they're doing it by their choice. Look at verse 19. This is the judgment. Here's, here's the reason for the judgment, really. Okay, 
light has come into the world. Christ has come into the darkness. Okay, and we've talked some about the images of light and dark. Light is truth. It's it's Christ. Um, it's life. Christ is the light and life of men. And then in contrast to that, you have the realm of death and condemnation, which is darkness, the the prince of darkness, his his kingdom and all those who belong to it. <clears throat> well, the judgment, the reason for condemnation is not because somehow or another, oh, well, you know, God is so fickle and he just, I'll, I'll save this one and not save that. No, the reason is because light has come into the world. God has sent his son into the world to save us. But people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. And then John goes on to elaborate on that. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. <clears throat> so here you have this, this, the reason, what's going on? Why won't people come to Christ? Well, they're wicked. And they're doing just like we were before we came to Christ. We were wicked. And, um, and we did wicked things. They do wicked things. Now, here you want to be careful. There are, there are numbers of people in this world, you, you probably all know some of them, who are apparently nice people. Uh, you might like them. You, uh, um, they, they are good people, it appears, right? They're, they're, they're good people. And, <clears throat> well, now, what about them, you know? Uh, here you've got people whose works are evil. It kind of looks to me like these other people I'm talking about, their, their works are good. I mean, they seem to be good people. Now, they don't want to hear about Christ. They're not Christians. They don't want to hear the gospel. But, you know, they're, so, you know, it doesn't, they don't, are their works really evil? Um, do they do wicked things and, and hate Christ and won't come to the light? The answer is yes. In fact, in many cases, these morally good, it appears, people are some of the most, some of the most wicked because their so-called goodness is a front. See, it's uh, verse 20 says, they don't want to come to the light lest their works should be exposed. You and I don't see behind the scenes like God does. We don't see the, the motives of a person's heart. We can, we can make some judgments about a person based upon their works, especially if those works are evidently evil. But you can have somebody who looks like, oh, wow, look at that. Well, the Pharisees again, right? Outwardly, they were whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, oh, they just look holy and pious, but inside they were rotten. 
And so there's lots of people like that around. And actually the gospel is kind of the discerner of those things, isn't it? Because if you, you know these nice people, right? These so-called good people. And, um, but you also know as a Christian that they don't want to talk about the Bible. They don't want to talk about God. They don't, only the most in general terms, but they don't want to talk about Christ. And they sure don't want to hear that they need to come to faith in Christ because they're dead in their sins and they're under God's condemnation. Now the mere fact, and see that those are the truths that the light brings, that God brings into the world. Well, they hate those truths. So when you begin to see that, then you begin to see, oh, here's what's really going on. And when a person, when a person basically fundamentally hates God, which every unsaved person does, then even the best things they do are done for the wrong motive. They are done to exalt themselves. They're done to kind of throw in God's face, you know, look how good I am and all all of this kind of thing. We're going to find out. There's only two kinds of people in this world and we'll find that out on the day when Christ comes and exposes the secrets of men's heart, right? That's what's going to happen on that day. There are people who have believed in Christ and been born again and there are the rest, the wicked, who have rejected Christ and and uh, the secrets of their heart turn out to be all kinds of evil and, uh, and, and wicked things. Whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I'll just end with one more thought <clears throat> on this, and that is that over the years... We've seen this in the churches that we've ministered in, okay, over, what, over 30 years now or something like that. Um, No, longer than that. It's going to be pushing 40 years. Well, here's what you find. Over time, sometimes it can start out pretty quickly. Uh, In our present church, this, this church was a mess 30 or well, what, 28 years ago and filled with counterfeits and they hated God's word right from the start and and uh, but in other places it it took a little bit more time and and uh, as uh, as we how do we shine the light now well one way we do it is on the Lord's day we gather together as a church and we teach and preach his word and if we do that faithfully the light's going to shine. Well, what happens? And we've, we have physically observed it. Uh, people who were all friendly early on or whatever, pretty soon they start getting distant from you. Some of them get very hateful. But other ones, others physically start sitting in, in pews in the, in the, cha- in the church uh, sanctuary further and further back further and further back toward the back until eventually they're literally they're 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 out the door they can't stand the light now they're not going to say that oh we left there because our deeds are evil and they were being exposed they're not going to say that but that's exactly what was going on uh that that is the ministry of the word your church should see this happening 
Your church should see people. If, if your church is just this popular place, everybody just loves everything and everybody, all oh, yeah, the other pastor, just absolute greatest guy. And, and, and boy, we're growing and all these people are coming in and so on. There's something wrong because you can see it right here. You know, don't take my word for it. Look at look at this. If the light of Christ is being proclaimed truthfully and 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 applied then truthfully so that people see it, if that light is shining, the wicked are going to be convicted. They're not going to like it and they and they're going to be they're going to be out of there. Um that and that that makes for a healthy church because when uh, imposters, counterfeits, evil people come. <clears throat> they're either going to come under conviction and be saved, or they're going to be out the door, and it's going to happen pretty, pretty quickly. You see. Well, we better stop right there, and I'll make a note that we'll pick up again next time, next Wednesday, on uh, verse twenty-two. And that section is John the Baptist's final. Um, um confirmation and exaltation of Christ and when his John's decide John the Baptist disciples come to him and they're jealous because Jesus is attracting more people than than John is now and they don't like it and so there's all kinds of lessons for us to learn there about little jealousies and animosities that we have to guard against ourselves father we thank you for your word thank you for uh, that that it makes us uh, mature in Christ, and I pray for everyone that's that's listening to this or will listen to it that that they each one would be challenged and and they would they would grow in Christ if they're if they realize they're still infants that they've just been drinking down the milk that's been handed to them but they haven't really chewed on it they haven't gone to your word and and really. Uh, studied and discerned whether what they're being told is consistent with your word or not, that they be convicted to do so and roll up their sleeves and grow. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.